Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody, students, teachers, parents, administrators, who are interested in evolving what education is. I'm Rob McLeod, and as is always, joined by Brendan O'Leary. Good to see you again, Brendan. Good to see you too, Rob, after all these months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've, we're just coming back from a little summer break and ready to launch into a new season, looking at the mainstream school governed by the opportunity value. And I think this is probably a, a, a good time to say if anyone is new who's joining us, that you're welcome to take along for this episode. But we'd probably recommend you actually go back a few episodes to our episode 50, entitled Start Here 2.0. Um, that kind of gives our whole spiel of what this whole podcast is all about. I guess in a nutshell, our main idea is just that there are three different types of school. We say there's a traditional school, mainstream school, and a progressive school. And each of those three are governed by three very different core values. So traditional school governed by security. The mainstream school, which we'll be talking about today and for our next season. The mainstream school, it's governed by the value of opportunity. And the progressive school, uh, that one is governed by the value of inclusion. So that's kind of what we're all about. There's the quick crash course, but you're probably better served to go back to our episode 50 before we, we get into our nuts and bolts today. Anything you want to say before we hop into the train of whatever season this is, season four? Season five. Season five. And uh, dive deep into the mainstream opportunity school. No. How are you doing, Rob? <laughs> how's, Beautiful segue. How, how's, your, how's your current life experience? Let's give the, let's give the people 60 seconds of McLeod. Sure. Well, it is very rich these days. Just started a new school year back at my school. Uh, lots of new things happening there, which is really exciting to be a part of. On the home front, we've moved into Brussels, which is pretty sweet. We'd been living in the outskirts of Brussels, Belgium for the last two years. And I have to be honest, I've, it's been a slow warm up, but I just now think Brussels is such a fantastic, really cool place. And this is with COVID restrictions in place. So once we can actually be social and go everywhere and do everything the city has to offer, I'm really looking forward to that because already things are good. How about you? Yeah, we're back into a new school year as well. And we are back on campus, which is good. We were online for, if you were with us before the summer break, you will have heard us talk lots about the the accommodations we made to move our school online. And although... It was an interesting time, and we dealt with the challenge as well. It, it is really good to be back in the real world with boys and girls and grown-ups all running around and teaching and learning. And we got a big focus this year in our school on conceptual maths, which is something that I have a, a really strong interest in, and I'm looking forward to, to moving into the world of conceptual maths a little bit more. What does that mean, you ask? Well, we'll tell you more later. Maybe. <laughs> and the last thing I want to throw in is I have become a trend setter in education, at least in my school. Uh, you know, I love the sound of my own radioish voice and will do anything to enhance its sound. Well, currently, we do have to teach in the classroom with masks on. So I have to have a mask on. And I did realize that my, after just like two or three days of that, I was going home with like sore throats, not from illness, but rather just like you naturally like force your voice more when you have the mask over, like just unconsciously, there's something about you that feels you have to like project your voice louder, but you do it in the not 
diaphragmatic breathing way. You do it in that very throat guttural kind of like, and your voice gets higher and kind of annoying. So I purchased a little like tour guide headset microphone. It makes me look like a fast food employee working the drive through and it has a little pocket speaker that just clips onto my belt. And for the first few days, everybody was laughing at me and, oh, don't you look high tech and futuristic and all that. And sure enough, matter of weeks, so far I've got four converts who quietly asked me, where did you get that? And now that they've tried it, they say, wow, this has saved my voice. And I'm also just less physically exhausted at the end of the day. So no promos for any specific model or anything like that. But if you are an educator and you're finding you are losing your voice speaking through a mask, a little microphone seems to help a lot. What's also nice is like, I literally, I'm not much louder than like a whisper. I'm just using my very calm, quiet voice. But thanks to the speaker, it can be amplified through the whole room. And it does seem to have a genuinely calming effect on the students because you're not doing that kind of half yell, half talking, making sure you can be heard type of thing. So that's just one of the other kind of interesting developments in my life. Innovative. Excellent. So, Rob, let's delve in to the big idea today. So we're looking at the idea of mainstream schools in this season, as we've said. And of course, mainstream schools are essentially part of what we might call a mainstream society, as opposed to a traditional school that represents a traditional society in some ways. So why don't you give us a lowdown a little bit on what we might expect in a mainstream society? Yeah. So before we even get into the nuts and bolts of that, when we are saying mainstream school, we're essentially talking about like 98% of the schools out there in 2020. At any state, provincial, national school around the world at this point, you're going to see the characteristics of the mainstream school we're talking about. So I just wanted to make that clear that basically when we're talking about a mainstream school, pretty much just think of the school down the road from you. So just before we started recording, you and I, we were trying to say, like, how do we not go into the weeds in this episode? Because there's too many things we could jump around. And you did a really good summary. And I'm just going to straight up try to copy it verbatim. Basically, if you think of the mainstream school, you could just think of like normal school. It's what you think school probably is, either from your experience or, you know, just what you've seen. Then we can also kind of think of like weird, zany, out of the box, hippie progressive schools where it's kind of like, well, kids do what they want to do there. Whereas at normal schools, there's a structure and like, you know, you're, you're kind of taught what you need to learn and you need to do your studying and you need to do what the school or curriculum is asking of you. And I think that distinction, even without having heard, without having listened to any of our other talks, that distinction probably is pretty clear to most people. But what we're saying, what we're calling normal school, when you zoom in a little bit more, you and I, in our narrative, we're saying it's actually two different things. And we're saying it's that normal school is actually traditional school or mainstream schooling. And what's important here is traditional school in 2020 and mainstream school in 2020 at first glance might look indistinguishable. They might look exactly the same. What's important here, though, is when we're saying traditional school, we're not talking about the point in time. We're not saying traditional school, it happened and now it's over and gone are are the days of traditional school. No. What we're saying is what determines whether a school is traditional or mainstream, the thing that determines that are the core values at the base of how that school is organizing itself. And that traditional school is organizing itself around security, 
and for more examples of what traditional school are, go back and listen to our last 14 episodes where we dive deep into traditional school. What we're setting up today is to be able to dive deep into the mainstream school, which is organizing itself around opportunity. An opportunity, organizing a school around opportunity is very different than organizing a school around security. So this is really obvious when you compare like an external thing, like a traditional security organized medieval village with say a more kind of mainstream reflective like opportunity organized modern city. The medieval village, the modern city, they look very different. The problem though, when discussing education comes in is that nationwide mandatory schooling emerged out of a conflict and collusion between these two values of security and opportunity. And we didn't kind of give the heads up before, but if you've listened to us, you know this, we're basing a lot of this thinking around the spiral dynamics model and the integral theory stages models. So this mainstream opportunity, this is kind of the orange value here. And here school is acting as a filter for society in this mainstream opportunity approach, as opposed to that traditional approach where school is more of just putting in your time, doing your duty, and more of that production line of getting you ready for a set place in society. Whereas the mainstream school, it's helping to filter you into the larger world. So I think we wanted to give that context before we get into the more specifics of what mainstream the opportunity informed school is. And essentially, if we look back at the beginnings of nationwide schooling back towards that Prussian model or more church oriented schools in, in Britain, the one room schoolhouse and so on, they lent far more on those traditional values. So authority and moral instruction were key. And as time has gone on, schools have lent more and more into that mainstream capitalist enlightenment set of values, which is about a logical progression through school. So that will be uh, strong curriculum documents that show you what you might learn at every age, leading towards qualifications that act as almost a rule of thumb to get you into certain places in the workforce. And things such as measurable outcomes and clear criteria, these all stem from those underlying values that the mainstream society is built on, which stem from what we call the Enlightenment and, you know, the 14th to 16th century, kind of the Renaissance and the scientific revolution were the world was a place that could be measured and societies weren't static. You could move up and down in societies. And actually that was even better for a society because that dynamic movement inside society gave people more motivation and actually brought a kind of an energy. And so when you start to look at it that way, you can see how maybe a school, a, a very traditionally minded school 150 years ago was really about your role in society and being ready for a lifetime of that role. And these days, school is about us prepping you and getting you skills and competencies so that when you enter that kind of marketplace, that kind of battleground, if you like, you can then stake your claim at any step in the societal ladder if you have the right skills. I think it's easier to look at societies, as you said, than it is to look at schools, but it's really important for us that in this particular season, when we look at the mainstream school, we're going to be really focusing on how that opportunity value, the idea that you are in control of your destiny and you can put yourself wherever you want to be on that ladder of society if you work in the right way, 
it is a meritocracy. And so one thing when we look to traditional schools and traditional societies, there were, as we said, there was a very strong hierarchy and power was distributed in a very clear way. The pyramid system, top to bottom, the king was in charge, barons and so on, all the way down to peasants and similar model inside a school, the head teacher held a very strong authority and, and uh, it moved all the way down to the students who had very, very little authority. What would you say, Rob, was kind of the power dynamic and the leadership and authority authority structure in a more mainstream school or society. Yeah, well, I liked how you pointed at this sort of like rectal nature of how in the traditional approach, the society mostly feudal with like, you know, monarchy, king at top, etc, etc, down to peasants, how that then is reflected in the school model and the way the school has organized itself, because we're arguing that both have been informed by security. Well, it's the same in mainstream, but this time, both are informed by this opportunity value. And we're going to see that ladder, that ladder where you have the opportunity to move up or down or sideways as you desire, because it's now a meritocracy. It's no longer a lineage that gets you your spot in society. It's your merit. And you prove that through competition and results. So before your value your level of authority was handed to you. Now, your level of authority is earned through results. And one of the ways we see this in school is, of course, we still have head teachers and vice principals and these sorts of things. But what you start to notice is a lot more maybe like horizontal authority. So for example, just one example, like, you know, in schools, you may have an expert for each subject area. The way this looks in the classroom is we move from that kind of traditional approach of the teacher is the unquestioned authority or is just definitely the authority and you as a student are below them to much more of like an equal footing where there is still certainly that power dynamic, but it's kind of like both are both the teacher and students are under pressure to perform because an underperforming student and an underperforming teacher are now kind of in the same boat. And what we're seeing in terms of the actual model, we would say for the education is a shift from the traditional approach of master and apprentice towards the mainstream opportunity approach of the coach and you could say an athlete model. And we're more thinking like kind of an elite athlete here where everything they're doing is being asked of them by the coach or demanded by the competition they're in. But the coach, the teacher in this case, is measuring how well you do and giving you very specific feedback to help your progress. And in this case, what are you progressing in in school? Well, you're progressing against the curriculum's goals and expectations for you. So what are some of the positives of this? Well, it's your competence, not tradition and relationships that give you authority. We get an emergence of experts and like a richer school community where it's not just the expertise of the one person at the top. It's now distributed and spread throughout the ladder or the structure within a school. We also get the potential for new and better ideas because what ultimately matters is this value of opportunity. So if something comes along that's better, we're willing to hop onto it. So there is a flexibility and a willingness to change. There's also the ability to take responsibility for your own life. Like I know we're doing a little bit of a straw man thing here, but in theory, in that more traditional approach, regardless of how hard you tried, that agency largely was not available for you to change your lot in life. So yeah, it's no longer lineage that determines who you can be. It's up to you to decide that. 
And finally, there's also the piece, maybe it's sort of the flip side of that idea of we can always bring about new and better ideas, new and better methods. We take like an actual problem solving approach to things. So changing things that don't work rather than just deferring to traditions. So when we see that something isn't getting the results we want it to have, well, then it's time to actually, you know, like almost apply the scientific method like, okay, well, here's a hypothesis of how we could change that. Let's test this. Let's change this. Everything is up for change, whereas in the traditional approach, very little is up for change because there is one right way to do it, and it's the way we've been doing it or the way we are doing it. So why would we change? If there's a problem, it's not with us. It's with you. A lot of really good points there. And and if you're struggling to differentiate in our definitions of traditional and mainstream school, I think look at the teacher's role. And as we said, the in a traditional medieval feudal village, you might have a, a guild where you have a master craftsperson and they would take on an apprentice. And very much the traditional school might look like that. The, the teacher will say, I'm doing this thing. It's the right thing. You do exactly what I'm doing or exactly what I say. And then you will be correct because there's a right way to do it. And I, as the master, know the right way. End of story. As we move into that more opportunity value and the teacher becomes a little bit more like a coach okay we know you've got this competition that you're going to take part in which is essentially your examinations it's essentially your next step of school is the is the olympic event that we're training for and the coach might try any number of strategies with you they might try to change how you approach learning they might differentiate and have you doing something slightly different from the person next to you and they may not even do what you're doing the best soccer coaches in the world aren't necessarily the best players and sometimes they are but they're the person that can motivate you that can give you strategies that can give you practices that are going to get you to win in the game when you eventually take part and that's a really different mindset and that has very much come on board in the classroom over the last 30 or 40 years. In our understanding of school we look back at those old school masters and it was very much do as I say and I'll show you the right path and woe betide if you don't and think about the teachers now, the teachers that maybe we remember from 10, 15 years ago that we see teaching our children. They're so much more in that role of a supporter and challenging you in the right way to get the best out of you. And I think that's a key difference and a distinction. Yeah. And maybe just to compare and contrast, I think a traditional teacher would also say they are getting the best out of you, just as a mainstream teacher would. But the metrics you're using are totally different because the traditional approach, again, not to straw man, would be something more like, we will get the best out of you if you do what we say. That's where their kind of like moral reasoning would come in. Whereas when we move into the mainstream, it's like, oh, the getting the best out of you means the highest level of your achievement against the targets we have set for you. And there isn't one way to get there like there was in the traditional approach. As you said, there are many ways. And it's actually my job as the coach to maximize your achievement and to tweak things and to try new things and experiment until we crack the way that you can do your best. Because that translates to me as the teacher doing my best. The student achievement is now tied to my level of success as a teacher and not maybe 
in some time, in some situations, a traditional teacher might see the the lack of achievement or lack of success from a student being the solely the the doing of the student themselves and freeing themselves from the responsibility of that. So I think this ties into the last point we had hoped to hit today, which is this the differing beliefs and conceptions of childhood and the transitions into adulthood. So would you like to start into that? Yeah, maybe dipping back into that traditional mindset. It was really interesting for us when we looked into the idea of a traditional kindergarten and we realized how much freedom, how much free choice and play the children have. We came up, I guess, with the theory that you're basically just too young to have any real responsibility. So it's kind of an age of pre-societal responsibility when you are, we do have this freedom. Uh, it's, it's a freedom that you're given because you're just not able to play a role in society yet. And essentially, you can just run around over there and have lots of fun as long as you're learning some morals and so on. But little by little, as you get older, you're going to have a very clear role in society. And that's the traditional mindset. The, the mainstream essentially seems to believe that from day one, we can start prepping you on the ladder for where you will eventually be when you're grown up. So we can start building skills and competencies steadily so that when it, the time comes, you will be ready for it. And this is why you may... It's, it's unlikely in a traditional society to see any form of curriculum in a kindergarten, for example. However, the mainstream schools, the mainstream systems have developmental kindergarten curriculums that the children are assessed on their developmental level from day one. And there's a very strong difference there. And this is underpinning the idea that in a mainstream system, school is really just prepping you for that day when you leave the system and you enter the workforce. It's not the only focus. Of course, it still cares about your moral development. It still cares about you as a person on some level. But essentially, most of its resources are gathered to send you in the right direction on this very logical uh, logical set of steps. And, you know, this is like turtles upon turtles. Again, we get into this fractal thing of everything is about kind of giving you the competitive advantage, that thing that will open up an extra opportunity for you. And it's phrased in the positive sense. It's not get something over someone else. It's just the positive sense of like, how can we up this for you? And I think there's this idea that you know, with this early kindergarten curriculum and getting you ready for numeracy, getting you ready for literacy a little bit later, just gives you that head start, which is a little bit of a competitive advantage over the kids who didn't have it. And we see this kind of fractal nature of it where it's like, well, on the individual level, I want to make sure you as an individual student have every advantage that, that is available to you. And then as a class, we want to make sure we're providing all of you the advantage over others. And as a school, we want to make sure we're positioned in the district. And as a province, us within the country compared to other provinces and, and us as a country, well, then you get into the whole like national thing of comparing student achievement between schools worldwide. So this goes all the way up and all the way down. Um, I just want to throw in my own little personal anecdote here to lead into a distinction. So my son right now is in the kind of like kindergarten preschool thing here in the Belgian system. And we have a caregiver at the daycare who is quite arguably very traditional, um, but we love her. <laughs> and she's getting flack um, 
from some of the other kind of local authorities where it's like, oh no, you need to have like all the numbers up and spend a bit of time every day going over the numbers and, and have all the letters and phonics stuff up. And, and you really need to, you know, not a lot, but you know, maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, just a little bit of practice with the letters and stuff. And it's like, dude, my kid can't even speak yet. He's just figuring out how to walk. But I think there's this like that mainstream opportunity approach of like, yeah, but what if it, it does help start them on a trajectory that maybe, you know, you never make up for. Whereas at least in this case, my wife and I, we actually side much more with the traditional woman where it's like, no, you know what? We would actually prefer he's like rolling around in the mud and playing in the sandbox for those 30 minutes rather than trying to have this like numeracy, you know, from a very structured curriculum thing like forced upon him. So to me, that shows that different mentality, I think that you're pointing out of the traditional idea of like, no, this is just free time at this point, because forever, once they get into school, you're going to just have the increasing responsibilities thrown on you. And then for the rest of your life, there is this era of your life where you are free from that. And I think that is the more traditional mindset. Whereas we move into the opportunity value, the mainstream approach is going sort of like, we don't want to lose any time. And it might, and you know, even if the payoff isn't really strong, even if this isn't so effective or even so efficient, if it gives you that like 1% advantage now, over the course of time, that might lead to a bigger advantage down the road. So you wouldn't want to miss out on that opportunity. The one positive side of that, though, that I do want to bring in here is the mainstream school approach. One of its advantages over the traditional approach in terms of this conception of childhood is actually bringing science to the table and having science-based developmental models and stage conceptions when we're considering children. So it's not just heuristics. It's not, you know, one grandparent set of beliefs or this town's beliefs on things. We actually do have some objective facts. So that is one of the positive things that the mainstream schools have brought in is having actually objectively proven models of what is best for children and what what is not. And of course, that's really one of the reasons why we've lent further and further into these mainstream values, because that measurable nature, the belief that things can be measured and that we're going to do our best to make those measurements, they're very much in line with a lot of what we might call Western values of equality and fairness and justice. And those all came out of those enlightenment times as a reaction to, I guess, medieval society where those things were not at the forefront. So I guess in, in wrapping up, um, what I would say is walking away from this, if, if, you're, if you're still a little unsure, if you want to find out more about the difference between traditional and mainstream school, Maybe look at the schools where, that you have a connection to if you're a student, if you're a parent or a teacher, and have a look to what extent are the actions in our school being driven by tradition and authority and this uh, need for security, because those are the underpinning values of a traditional society in a traditional school. And then to what extent are our actions and our cultures being driven by the searching for opportunity problem solving making measurable progress and it's really interesting every single school will have a slightly different mix of these 
As we've said many times, the map is not the territory and you'll never find a school anywhere that is 100% nor a person that is 100% any of these. So the real question to ask is, to what extent are these things driving the schools we work in and go to? And how much is that in line with where we want to be? The, the way we think is best for us to live our lives. That's what we're going to be digging into over the next six to eight weeks. Again, you know, please look back at episode 50 for an overview of how we differentiate between the, the three, actually, whisper, whisper, four school systems. But um, yeah, Rob, what would you like to say to wrap up this episode? Yeah, just to maybe try and summarize everything about the authority um, discussions we've had and to maybe provide someone with like a litmus test for if I'm looking at a school what's kind of one surefire way to tell if it's leaning more towards tradition or if it's leaning more towards mainstream. And in terms of authority, what I would say is you could ask, what is holding more authority? An individual teacher's personal opinions, convictions, and maybe sense of like emotional certainty about the best way we should be doing things. And if so, I'd say that leans more towards the traditional approach. Or has that individual teacher's authority been removed from them as sort of king of the classroom or queen of the classroom, leader of the classroom? Has it been spread out into the larger school where student achievement becomes the actual authority and curriculums become the authority and school-wide approaches where we are kind of more or less all on board across the school, at best even across subjects, the actual thing that dictates what's going on in the classroom is results. And I'd say there are a million other things we could say, but I think to me that's the biggest differentiation in or the biggest difference between how authority is seen in the school. And that door closes at the end of the day, is it a teacher who gets to call the majority of the shots and how things go on? Or is it the more mainstream opportunity approach of your results as a teacher matter, our results as the school matter, what you are doing is an informed consensus between all of us, mainstream versus you are the authority as a teacher, do what is common sense, do what is best. Mm. And yes, try not to be fooled or, or swayed by the external signs, oh, I have a uniform, that must be traditional. Mm, no, uniforms exist in all different types of schools. Oh, the teacher's strict. That must be traditional. No, no. There are strict teachers in progressive schools and mainstream schools. Oh, they're doing tests. That must mean they're mainstream. No, there are different types of assessments and tests. So look beyond uh, the initial signs and into the actual driving motivations underneath. And the um, test for that, as we've said, is just keep asking why. After about the third or fourth why, it trickles back to either, oh, we're doing this for reasons of security, we're doing this for reasons of opportunity, or we're not going there in this season necessarily, but looking ahead to the progressive value, are we doing this in service of inclusion? Mm. So we're going to be over the next six to eight, ten, who knows, Rob, episodes digging into the nuts and bolts of mainstream schools. So Next week, hopefully, we'll be looking at how the mainstream school interprets the three main aims of school, which are building citizenship, workplace preparation, and the development of the self. So, looking forward to it. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob. 